when you, if you think back to times when you were pregnant and you got together with pregnant or new nursing mums, what did you normally talk about? When a group of pregnant mums get together, what do they tend to talk about? What's that? No, no, hang on. That, was, that sounded fantastic, Kate. And so I really want to hear what you said. There's kids around. There's kids around. Kids block your ears. Just our titties. Oh. I'm not just that. Our sore vaginas. Oh, you're... Yeah, so you, if you've just had childbirth, you talk about the implications on your pelvic floor and the birth canal. Uh, yeah, it's awesome. What else do you tend to talk about as... You can't answer this, Jeff. Sorry. <laughs> the white male privilege does not... We're not allowed to comment on this. Sorry. <laughs> What do women talk about when they get together and they're pregnant? Well, from a long time ago, I think it was lack of sleep. Lack of sleep, yeah, yeah. All sorts of... Well, you got heaps of sleep. Okay, so all sorts of really interesting things. Do you know what's fascinating about the story we just read? When Elizabeth and Mary, they're cousins, and uh, they get together... And they're chatting, and they're kind of, you know, middle trimester, so the hormones are kicking in, and they're all happy, and they've stopped vomiting all the time, and they're thinking, oh, it's going okay. Do you know what they talk about? They talk about global geopolitics and the theology of overturning the dominant empires of the day and bringing peace to all of reality. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So it's women, pregnant women, at the start of the gospel story, and, and they're concerned about the really massive big issues of life. That's important to get your head around, because sometimes we can think Christianity is a religion that oppresses women that has nothing really to say about, once it's finished keeping women subjugated, it has nothing really to say about the pressing issues of life. And this story, and Mary's song says, no, 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 women in Christianity are right at the center from the beginning and the middle and the end all the way through. Uh, and at the center of the story, women talk about what really matters in life. I mean, I'm not saying that the damage... <laughs> Well, the challenges to one's physique and one's body through childbirth and lack of sleep, these things aren't important. But what strikes me as amazing in this story is what they actually talk about and what they think about. Um, so this is what Elizabeth says just at the front end of the story. She, she goes in a loud voice to, um, to Mary, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises for her. Elizabeth says, and the gospel writer says, and church history says, that Mary is a model of faith. And she's a model of faith in showing how Trusting God has massive personal implications 
and massive geopolitical implications. And if you want another big word, kids to drop at the Christmas table, eschatological implications. So kids, you can say when, when your, your auntie or your uncles or your granddads come around for Christmas lunch, you can say, Granddad, can you tell me the eschatological implications of your worldview? Wouldn't that be good? Just think of the conversations you could have over the uh, Christmas lunch. Now, you might not understand what all that means, but by the end of this, you probably still won't. Um, Maybe you will. So Mary's a model of faith because look what, what she, look at she's presented with this woman who, who trusts God. She's believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Now, I don't know about you, but I find having faith in God is really quite hard in this world, isn't it? I mean, maybe you find that odd to hear in a church like this from someone like me to say, hmm, faith's challenging. There's, there are a lot of things that make believing in God difficult. So how did Mary manage to do it? I mean, remember, she's maybe 14, 15-year-old teenager who's, who's got herself pregnant and uh, life is difficult. It's brutal. They're under Roman occupation childbirth is fraught with difficulties and yet she still has faith how it's hard there's a lot of what the philosophers call counterfactuals to the proposition that there is a good powerful god who loves us a lot of stuff that says where is god i mean devonport like what do you do with what do you do with that like out of the middle of nowhere, how do, you, how do you reconcile that with a loving God? How do you reconcile suffering, the pandemic, our, our own personal challenges, all the senseless, random, stupid, evil tragedies of the world? How do, you, how do you have faith in a good, loving God in the middle of that? Like that's hard, right? Uh, let me tell you right now, anyone who thinks it's not challenging hasn't really suffered or lived or thought because it's hard and Mary knew how hard it was the Jewish people knew how hard it was they'd come from centuries of suffering and exile and brutal brutal oppression from the Romans and as a young woman to be at the bottom of the hierarchy to be oppressed treated like a piece of property where your life and well-being was at the hands and the whim of, a, of, of your husband or the men in your life, and you had very little agency and power and little safety and security. She knew it. So how, how can she have faith? And how can you and I learn from Mary what it is to have faith in God? Because I want to suggest, as hard as it is, if you don't have faith that there is a God who, who loves us and has made this world and somehow is working things out, if you don't have that faith, it actually makes this world almost unbearable, if we're honest. If you have faith, it's hard. If you don't have faith, it's kind of unbearable and unlivable, but we'll talk more about that. So, uh, two things, I think, in Mary. The first way she has faith 
is because she examines her own personal experience and how good God has been to her. Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Mary looked at her life and went, I'm a nobody. I'm a 14-year-old girl. I have nothing going for me. I'm married to a, I'm betrothed to a young guy and um, I have nothing to offer God. But he has been good to me. He's been mindful of me. I bet you didn't know God practiced, practiced mindfulness. But there we have it. First century mindfulness. God being mindful of Mary. And you know what? He was good to her. And she knew that. Things could have gone so much worse. Joseph could have divorced her. Her village could have stoned her. She could have died by this point in her pregnancy. Everything could have been so, so much worse. And she looks around and she goes, God has been mindful of me. So I want to ask you this. Look around your life and think in your own experience, how good has God been to you this year? How good has God been to you? Like, there's a lot that's hard. But you've got oxygen in your lungs this morning. That's good. Your lungs are working. That's good. You're here. You've got a roof over your head. You've got clothes on your back. That's good. We're surrounded by a community of people who try and get along. That's good. There's so much that's good. Just look, out, look at the world and go... The Lord has been mindful of your humble state. The Lord has looked at you and has gone, yep, you're not much, you're just an ordinary person. You're a mess, but he's paid attention to you and he's provided for you. Now, of course, you could say, I don't believe there's a God. Yes, people do. And you okay, well, here's the challenge. If there is no God, well, who's been good to you? <laughs> if there's no God, who do you thank? Because we all thank someone like it's, a, it's an inbuilt, you know, thing to, to want to express gratitude at gifts. But if there's no God, well, where's it come from? <laughs> Who's been good to you? You don't know. It's interesting, isn't it? I find this uh, in my journey of faith and my struggles with faith, which are real, even today, one of the things that keeps me coming back to God is I go, if there is no God, why is there anything else? <laughs> Where did it come from? Why is it good? Why is it not? Why do we not live in like an endless metaphysical concentration camp where we're constantly tortured all the time? Um, why is the world good, not bad? Why is there beauty, not just ugliness? Why do we yearn for justice? Why are we so spontaneously thankful for beauty and joy and justice? I think there's a God. So her personal experience. But then, the personal experience isn't really enough. What Mary adds to that is her hope for the future, the eschatological horizon, if you want some big words. This is what Mary says. It's not just that God's been good to me. It's that God will be good for the whole world. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. 
What Mary says is, I'm going to trust God because I believe that this world and everyone in it has a wonderful, glorious, good, happy ending. The story of the world ends well. This is her hope. This is her faith. That in the end, guess what? The rich and the powerful do not continue with forever oppressing the poor and getting away with it. Injustice does not triumph. Oppression does not win. Futility does not carry the day. Disease is not the last word and death is not the last word. Mary says, my hope is in God because he is going to bring down the rulers from their thrones. All those oppressive, tyrannical regimes, all the Roman empires, all the Pol Pots and the Stalins and the Robert Mugabes and the whatever oppressive little tyrant you can think of who has inflicted harm, they will be brought down. Every person who has violently oppressed and distorted anyone will not get away with it. That's what this says. Whether it's intimate partner violence in a home, organized systematic uh, slavery in a, in a brick kiln or an industry in India, or uh, a massive political party uh, organized to oppress a billion people in a near neighbor. Uh, none of, no one will get away with injustice and depression because in God, Mary says, there is hope that everything that is ugly will be made beautiful, everything that is broken will be made whole, everything that is diseased will be healed, everything that is dead will be brought to life. That's the hope. That's why she trusts God, her own experience, and the hope that God will do this in the future. Now, of course, we have even more grounds for hope for the future than Mary did because we know that she was bearing in her womb the one who would guarantee and make possible the realization of this hope. That in Jesus, who she, in a mind-blowingly, does-your-head-in kind of way, she's carrying in her womb the one who would bring about the reversal of all the world's sadness and sickness and death. We know that in Jesus that's what happened. We know that he came into the world and the world crushed him and killed him. But we know that he rose again and defeated that killing and that crushing. And in the resurrection of Jesus, we have a glimpse, a foretaste of that great reversal, that great resurrection that Mary was talking about and singing about. So, how's your faith? <laughs> and more important, and, and, and underneath that question of how's your faith, 
is the question, how do you think your story is going to end? How do you think the story of this world's going to end? Let's get personal. If it's not just you, think about your kids. What's their life going to be like? And how are your kids' lives going to end? I mean, maybe they'll be rich and powerful and successful and stand on the side of the oppressors and everything will go well for them. I know your kids. Probably not. They'll just be ordinary kids and they'll grow to be ordinary adults and we'll just be ordinary people and then we'll die. Is that all there is to your kid's life? You do your best, you bring them up, you raise them, you're all full of hope. Then you get old, they get old. Hopefully you die before them and then they die. Is that it? Well, if there's no God, that feels to me like that's about it. You make the best of the journey as you can along the way. But if there's a God, and man, am I ever hoping that there is. <laughs> if there's a God, then this is, that is not the end of the story. Mary knew it. Jesus knew it for 2,000 years. People all around the world have known it. And my hope and prayer for each of us this Christmas is in some way we grasp that hope that Mary had and that that hope gives us faith to trust God today and tomorrow for ourselves, for our families, and for our world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that in Mary's womb, you were the, the seed of the great reversal, the great happy ending of the world that she celebrated and sang about. And I pray for each of us in this room, young and old alike, no matter what our religious background or our fears or our hopes or our experience today, that you'll help us follow Mary to trust uh, Jesus, that you've been good to us in the past and you will be good to us going forward. And we ask this in your name, Lord. Amen.